God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, all-consuming fire, that is our prayer this morning, that you would fall in this place, that you would fill us afresh, that you would come and fill this place with your presence today, Jesus. We love you. We want more of you. Lead us and guide us this morning by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. My name is Carrie. I'm one of the worship leaders here at Hopevale. Uh, we'd like you to take a moment and greet some people around you. But as you're doing so, if you could scoot in and make room for others coming in, that would be great. Hey, everybody. Glad you're here today. My name is Billy. I'm the worship pastor. Thanks for choosing to make Hopevale your stop this Sunday morning, whether it's home or um, it's maybe your first or a few times. Really glad you're around. Thanks for coming. Hey, uh, if you are new, uh, we have a first time like kind of welcome packet and um, gift for you outside these doors. And if you go towards center, uh, you can connect with somebody at the welcome desk there and they'll be happy to hook you up, so to speak. So a lot going on here in the life and body at Hopevale. We keep uh, wanted to keep pointing people to our website, hopevale.org. And uh, you can see we've got events and classes and all sorts of ministry things going on. So don't miss anything. It's not like we can be up here and, you know, run through everything that's going on in the church. So it's hard because we struggle with that because we want to. We want to tell you everything that's happening. But please go to the website and you'll see what's going on. It's great. So, um, yeah, ushers, if you would, uh, this at this moment, come on down and we'll take this morning's offering and um, we'll prepare to give to the Lord. First of all, thank you so much, friends, for giving to God here at Hopevale. Uh, there's a lot of things Hopevale is doing through missions and local work here and uh, to be able to put on a service like this and care for your kids that are in ministry and point them to the things of God and Christ. Safe place for them there, too, and uh, so much going on. So thank you for giving to that. And um, just know that what you're giving and how you're supporting uh, the work of Hopevale is amazing. But, you know, um, just as a word, I was, I'm always convicted of this, that uh, we don't give to the church, even though sometimes maybe that's our inspiration is to give to the church, but we give to God, and God does things through those things. So it even goes, it goes up even to a higher point to, we, you know, and yeah, we use the money here at church for the things of God, but you give to the Lord, and that's between you and God, and with how much you give and how much you're able to um, give to him because of what he's given to you. So thanks for just taking that uh, in, in, uh, in your mindset, and that's great. So let's pray together, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing on what's going to be giving. Heavenly Father, it's a great day. Um, even though it's a little gloomy and rainy outside, it sure is sunshiny in here thinking about how great you are and how awesome you are and uh, this consuming fire that we prayed for to um, just consume us and be here and be in our presence, Lord. So thank you for coming through your spirit uh, and we praise you for that. So Lord, for uh, what's being given today, we thank you for all that you've done here at Hope Vale and um, we, we know that what's being given will continue to bless those ministries that are uh, right around here, right around the corner and beyond. But uh, first and foremost, Lord, um, would you accept the offering of our heart to you? Would you accept this uh, offering that we give to you of monetary gifts, that it's for you and for your kingdom's work and for your kingdom's glory? So, Lord, that um, you would just be praised and you would be blessed with how we give to you. So we love you and uh, we give with cheerful hearts today in your name. Amen. Thanks, Carrie. I don't know if you follow Hopeville Church on Instagram or Facebook, but I thought I'd share what was written this week. It said, imagine that Jesus came today and you stood before him. 
What would you want to say to him in that moment? And what do you think he would say to you? Among the list of things I think he would say to you, I know he would say what is already written in his word. I know you. I see you. I hear you. And I have loved you with an everlasting love. I think he would say, I know the plans I have for you. They're not plans to harm you. And even though you don't know those plans, you can trust me. They are plans to give you a future and a hope. Come to me and cast your burden on me. I will give you rest. And among the list of things we would say to him in that moment, I hope at the top of the list would be I surrender. I surrender all to you, Jesus, all my hopes and my dreams and my plans, my past, my present, my future. Jesus, I surrender all of my successes, all of my failures. Let's continue to have a heart of surrender. Let's surrender to him. Once the offering plate is past your row, you can go ahead and stand, but let's sing together. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true.
in a spirit of worship. Uh, would you just have a seat? Let's turn our hearts and our minds toward the things of communion together this morning. You know, we just got done singing these lyrics, I Surrender All. I always thought that song should be called, I Surrender Some. I surrender some, and I am trying to do more. <laughs> it's probably more like it for all of us. But we're trying. What Christ has done for us beckons us to surrender all and to be all in. All in. Committed. More on that in a few moments. Well, um, we, uh, once a month we remember the life and death and resurrection of Jesus at Hope Vale through communion. And as your pastoral staff, there's always a couple logistics we try to go through just to make sure you're aware of some things. Uh, first of all, uh, membership is not required here at Hope Vale to take communion. Uh, our only big requirement is that you're a believer in Jesus Christ and that um, you're, you're trying to live your best for him. If that's not you, we just typically say, let the plate pass you by and don't feel judged or weird. Sometimes Christians don't take communion because they just don't maybe feel like they're in the right spot or in the right place to be able to do that. Um, so feel free to let the plate pass by, no judgment. And parents, please use discretion as uh, your kids are with you. That would be great. Well, I learned this from my uncle about a month ago. He's a big wig in business and he's one of my uh, leadership mentors and uh, on just leadership period and work relationships and all kinds of stuff. He's just great. And he looks at me over the dinner table. He goes, hey, Billy, are you the pig or are you the chicken? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. He's like, are you committed or are you involved? I'm like, Uncle Jim, what are you talking about? He's like, all right, at the breakfast table, think about it. The pig is committed. And the chicken is involved. He can lay a few eggs and just walk on about his business, right? <laughs> well, um, Romans 12.1 says, uh, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So I'm not sure about a lot of things, friends. I'm almost certain that um, that sounds pretty all in to me. Not just both of your feet, but your whole self, your whole body. The pig, committed. It begs a question for me. You know, what does it actually take to be all in? Uh, to be immersed? You know, I question my values. I question... Um, and I wonder about things that are really important to me. I wonder if God is the most important thing to me. I wonder if today could be a day um, that we could be all in. All in with our worship. All in with our confession. All in with our meditation. All in with our, just our hearts and our lives as a sacrifice of praise and worship for what he's done for us on the cross. I think that pig was probably singing I Surrender All when he's getting ready to become bacon and ham and ribs and turkey bacon. No, not turkey bacon. <laughs> I knew this one lady who says, oh, you don't eat meat? I'll make turkey bacon. 
I digress. <laughs> a lot. Friends, we're, we're about to uh, take this room, essentially, and what we're going to do is transform it into a, a big dining room table, and we get to reenact a scene of what Jesus did with his 12 disciples. And he took, he took a meal, and he said... Um, I'm going to use this and remind you about this. I'm going to use this and remind you about that as you continue to live for me. It's brilliant that he took this meal and did that. So we have this bread and this cup to use as this meal uh, reminder that his body was broken and his blood was poured out for all of mankind. So here's the deal. We messed things up. Uh, we thought we could do things our own way. And God made it a way for us to atone for our sin. And that was through Jesus Christ and his uh, life and his death and resurrection on the cross. That's the story of our faith, friends, right there. He lived, he died, and he rose again. It's the mystery of our faith and the beauty of our faith. When Jesus died on the cross, he knew he was about to be all in. And I bet he was singing some sort of version of I surrender all to, to his father. Every bit of me, Father, I'm all in because I love, I love our, my children. So I think it can only be our response to give him our lives and our attention and our offerings this day and our worship as we take communion as a sacrifice of praise. So ushers, would you please come forward? And thank you, ushers, for serving today. And we'll prepare to uh, take communion today. And for those of us taking communion today, you know, we come. Uh, with this heart and asking God to continue to change us and mold us more into the likeness of himself and realizing all that he's done for us. So we eat the bread and drink the cup in a manner to where God would um, see that and see our honoring of him today. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, um, we want to be all in. We want to be a committed follower of you because you took on pain for our sake. You didn't have to, but you did. And Isaiah says that by your stripes we are healed. And by taking on punishment, we were set free. We are eternally grateful, Lord Jesus. Amen. Ushers, please go ahead and pass out the bread. And for all of us, uh, hold the bread, and then we'll all take it together. So in Luke chapter 22, the Lord took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said to his followers, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. your body was not only broken but your blood was spilled out it was poured out for me for all of mankind and we are grateful Lord Jesus we're so grateful the cross should have been ours but it was yours and we thank you this meal helps us remember Ushers, go ahead and come forward and we'll pass out the cup. And like we did with the bread, go ahead and hold on to the cup and we'll all take together.
So um, we typically sing songs that are a little bit more intimate during communion, but we just sang this song, Here's My Heart, Lord. And we're going to cry it out as a worship team from the bottom of our feet. If you want to cry that out with us, feel free as the cup is being passed. But if you just want to sit and take it in and just sing or just sit and listen and worship and meditate, that's fine too. But let's offer the Lord our heart in this heart of surrender, this theme of surrender that we've been in for this communion time together. Take us in, Matthew.
And so in Luke chapter 22, again it says, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new promise which is poured out for you. Drink. pray together, friends. Thank you, Lord, for this time uh, where we could honor you and do our best to be all in and just thanking you for all you've done. God, you see our heart. You know. You know the sincerity in which we offer our worship and offer our praise. So we thank you for this time of communion where we could do that. So now as we turn our attention toward the word this morning, we ask your blessing on Pastor Dan and Lord, help us to be all in listeners and hearers of the word so that we can leave this place and be doers of the word. In your name, amen. everyone. Great Sunday of worship, of communion, of singing together, of putting Jesus front and center uh, in everything. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor, joined on stage by Pastor Ken, our associate senior pastor. Good morning. Hey. And today, we're in our First John series, and today is our halftime. We have six weeks behind us. We have six more weeks in front of us. And instead of pressing on just into the next part of the book, we thought it would be good to solicit questions from our congregation that have come up in reading the book, in going through the journal, or being part of the discussion groups. Yeah, right? we've had a lot of great questions, Dan. A lot of questions, so thank you for that. Yeah, so the good news is a lot of questions. <laughs> the not so good news is we won't be able to get to every <laughs> yeah. single one, although a lot of them overlap, so we're just gonna dive in, and Ken, you've got the first one here, don't you? I do, I do, yeah. Uh, this, this has been such a great series, yeah, hasn't it, Dan? It's just been super, and we have a second six weeks coming up, we're gonna talk about that. But, so here's question one. I'm new to the Bible and get confused in finding passages of Scripture, like all the different John books. Can you help me understand all that? So this is a good question, and, uh, and many of you are in this situation where you're just beginning to figure out the Bible, and don't feel bad about that. that. That is totally okay. The Bible is one big book with 66 parts, and sometimes it can be intimidating to get into, but it's, it's so worth it. So here, here are a couple things I'd suggest. First, uh, bring your Bible to church for a few months each Sunday. Bring a physical copy of the scriptures. And if you don't have one, we can get you one this morning. But in doing that, when we turn to different passages of scripture, as Dan, as Dan teaches, uh, use the table of contents right at the front of your Bible and the page numbers 
define the different books of the Bible and then specific verses that Dan is referring to. And if you'll do that for a few months, even do it at home sometimes, uh, you'll find that you can navigate the Bible fairly well in no time. Now, what about John's books and letters? So how many of you have your journal this morning? How many of you have your journal? Fantastic. All right, turn to page two. We're going to look at this again. We looked at it the first couple weeks of our series. I want to show you a couple things here. So the first question, page two, about 1 John, who wrote this letter? It says, John, a disciple of Jesus, wrote this letter, right? And you can read a little bit about him. And then the third paragraph, what else did John write? So John wrote two other letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then he wrote a gospel, an account of Jesus' life, rather unique gospel. It's, it's cool compared to the other three gospels. And then the book of Revelation as well, the very last book of the New Testament. John wrote, about, uh, wrote all five of those New Testament books, really cool. So John was a disciple of Jesus, and as, as Pastor Dan said in the series, he's He's a, a best friend of Jesus, too. He was in Jesus' inner circle, not just part of the 12, but part of the three, Peter, James, and John, who spent intimate time with the Lord Jesus. And so John, as he begins this letter, he, he points right away to his eyewitness testimony about what Jesus said and did and taught his life, his, his death, his resurrection, and not only to, to his eyewitness testimony, but to all the other eyewitnesses as well. You know, the apostles' teaching. So one of the things that, that we can know, we can have great confidence in that we have the eyewitness testimony of several people who walked with Jesus day to day and witnessed his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, and recorded that for us. That's our New Testament. They recorded that for us. We can have great confidence in our faith, in teaching that accords with the apostles' teaching and church practice that aligns with the apostles' teaching. Yeah. That's good. I love the practical advice, too, because um, the fact is we're all in different places. And one of the goals of this series was just really to lower the bar of intimidation, yeah. right? Yeah. And just to take that next step. So here's our next question. We all struggle with sin in some way. But John seems to say that we shouldn't. How can I know that I have eternal life if I do sin? This is a great question that talks about uh, sin, salvation, security, you know, questions that we think about. And it really picks up on verses that uh, we saw last week, 1 John 3, verse 6, no one uh, who lives in him, lives in Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. A couple verses later, verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin, John says, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And then even going toward the end of the book, John writes in chapter 5, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. And so it does seem like on the surface that John is teaching that we as Christians should be beyond our struggle with sin. 
However, you might remember last week that I think John is really getting more about attitude towards sin. And so in reading these verses, I added some attitude words like, no one who lives in Christ keeps on blatantly sinning. Not one-time events, but persistent, stubborn habits, right? No one who flippantly continues to sin like it doesn't matter at all has either seen him or know him, or like um, chapter five, right? We know that anyone born of God does not callously continue to sin, right? Like it doesn't matter because it does, so that John is not calling out our imperfection, but he is challenging our indifference to sin. But even beyond that, we also need to take John's words and look at them in light of what the entire Bible says. And, you know, Pastor Ken and I and and just our other staff, as we're teaching you how to learn more about the Bible, there's a very important principle we want you to know, and it's just we need to let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? And so you can see kind of this order here, you know, what does the passage say? We, we read the verse and the verses around it, that helps us understand. And then we telescope out a little and we think about what does it say in the entire book, right? And to make sure there's consistency in 1 John. And then we telescope out a little more and we think about the author. So what does John have to say about this, as Ken said, and like the Gospel of John, for instance, then we telescope out further and look at the entire Bible. What do other authors in the Bible say about this subject, right? And then this fifth one I added here, just church history context, that you know sometimes out there, not here, out there, people come up with very, I would say, unusual interpretations of scripture that really don't jive with how Christians have understood it for the last 2,000 years. And that's a little kind of warning light here. So what does John say in 1 John about this topic? Well, 1 John 1.8, for instance, we've seen this verse, right? That if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, you know, to say that we're beyond sin, that we're perfect, that we've arrived, that's just self-deception, But even just beyond 1 John, this theme is echoed in the Gospel of John, and it's something that Paul really hammers home, especially in books like Galatians and Romans, right, where our relationship with Christ, our justification, has already been settled through the cross, but we are in the process of growing in Christ, something that's called sanctification, where we bear the fruit of the Spirit as opposed to the fruit of the sinful nature. That's Galatians 5, right? And so the point is, yeah, how we live matters, right? And John and the Apostle Paul, they don't want to like, you know, shoo that off, right? So we need to watch out for these attitudes of indifference when it comes to ongoing patterns of persisting sin. So if I had to encapsulate John's message, though, about this whole topic of how we as Christians relate to our sin, I would put it this way, that as forgiven and growing Christians... It's not that we're sinless, but we should sin less. Yeah. It's not that we're sinless, but we should, that over the course of time, you know, long stretches of time, not seasons, there should be this decreasing pattern of sin in our lives, right? Like I said last week, new life in Christ should lead us to life change like Christ, right? And yet, here's the struggle, we're never gonna get there entirely this side of heaven. That's why I love 1 John 
2 verse 1. This is one of our big passages, right? My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. That's the goal. That's what we're shooting for as forgiven and growing Christians. But if anybody does sin, parentheses, and we will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the basis of the promise of what we know, eternal life. So I put it this way, if I had to like sum it all up. Perfection in our faith, no. Progress in our faith, yes. Pardon for our sin because of Jesus, always, yeah. always. Yeah, that's great, Dan. As it's, and I, I love that we can read First John and, and wrestle with questions like that. I mean, that, right. that shows that our hearts are being tuned by the Holy Spirit and God's change in our lives, right? That we're, and, and we're sensitive to it. The, uh, and in the moment we stop asking yeah. the questions or being sensitive, that's the danger zone, That's when we right? need to be, yeah, yeah concerned about great it. Great so. word. Yeah, so here's a, here's a third question. How should we respond to friends and coworkers who doubt the exclusive claim that Jesus is the only way to God? That's an important question. So thanks for, thanks for that question. It's, it's a question that every one of us these days especially needs to think through, uh, through the lens of Scripture. And so I want to take it from the standpoint of 1 John, because John gets at this in a big way. He really does. John begins his letter by getting us to think about eternal life. Do you notice that? The, the first few verses of this letter, look what he says. So verses 1 and 2, chapter 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Life. The life appeared. So John introduces this word of life, and, and, and this is an introduction. We almost think like the gospel of John where we're like, hey, John, just net it out. You're talking about Jesus, Right? But he, he wants us to think about the Lord Jesus in a, in a different way, in a unique way. And so he connects, connects the Lord Jesus with life, life. So verse two, he says, the life appeared. And we have seen it, what? The life, we've seen the life. And we testify to the life. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was always with the Father and has appeared to us. So there's, there's no doubt in these verses, Dan, that he's, he's pointing to Jesus. But he wants us to think about Jesus in this way of life, eternal life. Right away he emphasizes that. And so as we read 1 John carefully, we find that, that John calls us to believe that Jesus is the sinless son of God. He's without sin that he's the Christ. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ knows God. The ones that don't believe, that deny that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the God's specially chosen one, the anointed one. Uh, John calls us to believe that Jesus is the, the one who represents us before the Father. That is, he's our advocate. He's our atoning sacrifice, chapter two. He's the, he's the savior for everyone on earth, including us, hmm. and he's the one true God and eternal life. I love chapter five, verse 20, where John just, he just nets it out. Jesus is the one true God, and he is eternal life. 
So we're called to believe that. That's a, those are specific, exclusive calls and invitations to us. And we're called to confess. John uses this word confess or profess in his letter. We're called to confess that Jesus lived on this earth in a physical body. That is Jesus who is who he claimed to be, who the Bible teaches that he is. We're called to confess that he's the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, including us. And John and the other eyewitnesses uh, to Jesus learned as they walked with him that it's not good enough to be sincere. It's not good enough to be religious. It's not good enough to be sincerely religious. It's, It's not good enough to be a spiritual person, to do as much as you can, to believe in God, even to believe in Jesus in some way. So these are things, not that, not that are our opinion, but that are part of the apostles' teaching that John points to in this letter and that the rest of Scripture points to as well. No, John and the rest of Scripture speak exclusively and specifically because Jesus himself made exclusive and specific claims about who he is, about his life, his death, his resurrection, and how we need to respond to that. So John summarizes all this in, in chapter 5 of his letter. It's, it's toward the closing words. He says, and this is the testimony. So our translation, guys, this is the bottom line. Here it is in a nutshell. This is it. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. And that's, that's as straightforward as it gets, isn't it? And so like, like John, as he says right at the beginning of this letter, we need to be people who confess Christ, confess Jesus. We need to be people who proclaim this message of Jesus, the gospel of Christ to other people, because Jesus does make these specific exclusive claims about who he is and that he is the only way uh, to get to heaven. He is the only way to have our sins forgiven and to have eternal life. Yeah, yeah. And that's so tough because we need a sensitivity to those co-workers, to those friends, those family members who may see it differently. But we can get overly sensitive if we start watering down we can. Right, what the scriptures say. So that's a tension point, no question about it. Um, well, it doesn't get any easier, Ken. This is, here's another question, <laughs> question four. Yeah. <laughs> First John 5, 17 mentions there is a sin that does not lead to death. However, Romans 6, 23, it mentions that the wages of sin is death. Can you explain what John meant and why these two verses seem to contradict each other? Can a true believer walk in the darkness as per 1 John 1, 6? So this is what I wrote down. First of all, uh, this person gets the overachiever award because it's a question from chapter five. And we haven't done chapter five yet. <laughs> Second, they get double bonus points for asking what is probably the most difficult yeah. question about First John. Yes. So one scholar puts it, the meaning of verses 16 and 17 is debated among Christians. There is no absolute consensus on what this means. So there you go, right? <laughs> That was simple enough. Yes. So let's see what these passages say, and maybe we can begin to get to an understanding. 1 John 5, 16. 
If you see any brother or sister, so John uses those terms to speak about fellow Christians, right? Not the brotherhood of mankind, right? Commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, hopefully you got a grasp of what that is, because here's the Apostle Paul now in the book of Romans. And he says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we basically celebrated in communion. Now, think about what I said earlier. Let scripture interpret scripture, right? And different contexts. And so there are a couple questions I would ask as I'm trying to get to an answer to this question. Here are those questions. That is John speaking about physical time-bound death or spiritual eternal death? And is John addressing mankind in general or Christians specifically? Important questions to ask because Paul, when he says the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, he's talking about physical and eternal death. You know, it's because of sin that we physically die uh, in this life, but it is also because of sin that apart from forgiveness, that apart from atonement, we will be eternally separated from Jesus, the scriptures say, right? But Paul is also speaking to mankind in general, universally, right? This is how it plays down. John, on the other hand, is speaking to Christians if a brother or sister commits a sin. So the issue of forgiveness is already settled because of Jesus, right? That sin that Christians commit does not lead to eternal death, right? Now some people think that John's referring to physical death, that there is a point where we can sin too much as Christians and that God in his discipline removes us from this life. They talk about Ananias and Sapphira, if you're familiar with that from the book of Acts. But I think John is talking about uh, eternal death here and spiritual separation from God. Again, it is this whole matter of assurance that our sin will not lead us to spiritual death, that we should not panic when we slip up, when our standing before God, thinking that it, you know, it, it relies entirely on our performance. So let's go back to 1 John 5, verse 16, and dig a little deeper. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. You can see there, I've, I've, go back a second. Go back a verse, just a second. I've double-crossed out the word A because this is an interpretation thing. Yeah. John is not saying there's this one bad thing that we can do that's going to wipe us out. It really, other Bible translations just say sin in general, and that probably is a better translation, right? So that in our sin, it doesn't lead us to death. But look at the second half of verse 16, and this is what I think is going on. He says, I refer to those those who are part of the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters, whose sin does not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. Now look at kind of my notes here. If you remember last week, there's, there's three crowds going on. These, there's the Apostle John, there's the Christians under his care, and then there are these uh, liars, these antichrists, these ones who have not affirmed the gospel, right? And so I think John in this verse is talking about a couple different groups. He's saying Christians... Our sin does not lead us to death. 
eternal death, spiritual death, because we're forgiven. Now, there is sin that, that these people are, are committing who are not true believers. What They deny that Jesus is the Christ. They dismiss the seriousness of sin. They downplay the value of righteousness, right? Which prove they're not Christians. John says, you know, that sin will lead them to death. But I'm not saying you should pray about that. It's almost as if John's saying, hey, we're not talking about them for a moment. We're talking about you. And I know that seems pretty confusing. But again, the main focus here, the end of that verse is almost a bit of a rabbit trail. Because the main point of this verse is that, you know, as believers in Christ, our sins are forgiven. And so that question, well, can a true believer walk in darkness? I think in some sense, John would say no, because walking in darkness is not a season of our life. It's the state of our life. It's those who are outside the forgiveness of Jesus, right? And so 1 John 1, 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. That walking in darkness is a state of where these unbelievers, and, and if you go back to First John, there are these, if we claim, if we claim to be without sin, if we claim to have fellowship with God, talking about those who have rejected Jesus and are promoting this alternative spirituality. And so I would just say this, again, this is not John calling Christians to sinless perfection, right? No, as children living, of the living God through Jesus Christ, because we have fellowship with God. God gives us both the ability and the desire to want to walk in the light as he is in the light. So that is my best shot at trying to tackle a really hard question. But again, getting back to what is the foundation of our faith, that it not lies in performance, but rather Christ's perfection. That's good, Dan. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great response. And um, I, w- I would just add there too that, and Dan, you alluded to this, it's, it's as we read and interpret the Bible and, and try to understand the Bible normally, it's, it's good for us not to take a passage that's much less clear that yeah. we wrestle with and use that to override a number of clear passages, right? And so that looking at context, Dana, yeah, is really right. helpful to exactly. us. So thank you. Exactly. That's great. So here's, here's another question. And this one is a, this is a real life relationship type question. This is great. I don't get along with a particular person. And quite frankly, they're mean and I don't want to be around. You can just hear this coming <laughs> out, right? <laughs> this just happened today, right? <laughs> Let's send a question. Uh, so what do I do with the words in 1 John 2 about hate? Good question. And taking, taking God's word and mapping it onto our lives and in very real ways. That's, that's fantastic. So it, it is real life, isn't it? And, and God never wants us to take his word, to take his commands and talk about them or understand them in an overly spiritual way that's disconnected from the rubber meets the road relationships and experiences that we have every day. Uh, God intends his word to be very practical in our lives. And so let's, let's look at this question through the lens of 1 John once again. John gives three tests of genuine faith. And Dan talked about these a couple weeks ago. So three tests of genuine faith. A right belief in Jesus. So uh, our belief, it's a test of belief. And then 
consistent or ongoing obedience to God. It's a pattern of our life. And then finally, a consistent and tangible love, especially for other believers. Mm-hmm. So the, the test of belief, the test of obedience, and the test of love. Those are the three tests that John puts together uh, for saying, do we have a genuine faith in Christ? Is that real for us? So this, this last one, this test of love, a consistent, tangible love for others is is something that God himself has shown to us that he defines for us. And John consistently comes back to this. One of the, one of the things I said in the Digging Deeper class last Sunday is if you read 1 John and you come out of this letter saying, wow, I've got a lot of work to do. Where do I stand spiritually? You, you have missed the main point of this letter. You've missed what God has for us in this letter. But if you read this letter and say, wow, John is real about our struggle with sin. I need to be serious about that. I need to pay attention to that and never, never get flippant. Dan, you know, the, the attitude words that you've used about that, I think are right on. But God is amazing. Look at what the Lord has done for us. How great is the love that the Father has for us that he chapter 3, verse 1, that he calls us children of God. And Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He's the one who represents us before the Father continually. If, if you read 1 John and your heart is captured by God's love for us and all that, all that God did to express that love for us in Christ, you've hit the core message of 1 John. You've hit the core mm-hmm. message. And our, our love for others, God's call for us, his command to us to love others flows out of our experience of God's love in our own life. It really does. So where does that take us? God wants us to love others, not with our kind of love, but with his kind of love, the kind of love that we're seeing in 1 John. And 1 John 3, uh, verses 16 and 18 give us, I think, the clearest example of this one another love that God calls us to have. 1 John 3, 16 to 18 say, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then John goes on. What does it mean to lay down our lives to love our brothers and sisters? So he gives an example. If anyone has material possessions, the, the things necessary for this life, and sees a brother or sister in need of the things necessary for this life, but has no pity on them. Mm. You know, literally, our hearts are closed against that person in need. How can the love of God be in us? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. I'll pray for you, right? And that's a good thing, but it can be an empty thing if we're not careful. Let us not love in words and speech, but in, in action and in truth. So this is the way that God calls us to love, in, in action and in truth, laying down our lives for brothers and sisters. That's, that's how God has loved us. It's how God calls us to love others. And so hate is the contrast to that. 
You know, John, we, we've said this from the beginning of the series. John is very straightforward, isn't he? There's light and darkness. There's lies and truth. John is very, very straightforward. And he's straightforward on this topic of love in his letter as well. There's love, God's kind of love, that we should be expressing. And there's hate. And there's no in-between. And so like the person who asked this question, this, this, these passages on hate are, are getting their attention. So this is what John says, the chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them that can make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. So again, John's straightforward. If we don't love our brother and sister in Christ, then we hate. We hate. Another way to say this is for, for John, hate is not love. It's not love. Um, that is, uh, we can often think of hate as deeply emotional. Uh, this negative outburst, a torrent of harsh words. But John doesn't do that. It, it, and of course, that can be part of hate sometimes. And, and Jesus speaks to that in Matthew chapter 5 even. But for John, he uses a word that is more categorical. That is, it's, it's a decision we make about a person, uh, the category of value that we place in our hearts and how we treat a person based on the decision or the category that we have put them in. So we can hate a person without feeling this deep animosity toward them. Uh, we, we can hate them by not valuing them, by dismissing them, by deeming them not important enough to give thought to or to help. That's, that's how John is talking about hate in this letter. And that's, that's convicting to me. That's convicting to me. And especially as I think of, of brothers and sisters in Christ in places like Haiti. But conversely, we, we can love a person even if we don't have this deep compassion, even if we don't have this deep connection or camaraderie with them. That's, that's the stuff of real yeah. life, isn't it, Dan? Yeah. Um, we can still love a person. We can still meet a need. We can still value them in our hearts. We can put them in the right category of value and dignity to us. And so that's, that's the practical stuff of relationships in our lives, isn't it? Um, so God, God speaks to that. We don't always have to be, you know, the way, the way Paul puts it is, as much as lies within you, live at peace with everyone. As, as much as you can, work it out. Live at peace with everyone. Have connection. Have camaraderie. And of course, it's so sweet when we can do that with others. But sometimes it's just not possible or it's not possible for a season. And that's where God says, love. Love like God did. Make the decision to put your love into action and in truth and be careful of putting a person in that category of not valuable, not important to me anyway. Um, so that's how I think First John addresses that question. I hope that helps.
Well, and that's a great question of, as we've really been saying throughout this series, it's, it's not just we want informed minds, yeah. the answers to the questions. We want transformed lives. And hopefully that's been part of your experience with this series. You know, one of the great parts about this series, Ken, have been the discussion groups. And I know as we begin to wind down, you wanted to comment about those, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've had uh, all of our community groups and 13 different discussion groups have been part of the first six weeks of our series. And as we begin the second six weeks, next Sunday, Dan, March 3rd, uh, we are in the process of launching some other discussion groups. Uh, discussion groups are re-upping for the second six weeks of the series and community groups as well are committed to continuing through this. And so we, we want to invite you to be a part. And specifically, if you have not yet uh, picked up a journal, you've seen this happening around here, and for whatever reason, uh, you have not yet been able to get a journal or maybe consider a discussion group or a community group, we want to encourage you to do that. And so we have, I, I said at our leaders, our community group leaders meetings this weekend, we could have put these things on eBay and paid down the, the church debt. You know, it's like... These have been a pretty hot commodity. So we have some more journals. Now, specifically, these are second half journals. They have weeks seven through 13 and plus the introductory material, but they're weeks seven through 13 only. And so everybody be clear. If you already have a First John journal, here's my complete journal. If you already have a First John journal from before in this series, you're good. You don't need a new second half journal. You're good. Your journal is complete. But if you do not yet have a journal, then grab one of these after the service. We have a lot of them at the info desk there just for you. And then think about a, a D group. Think about a D group. You can get online, hopefail.org backslash D groups. Very simple, D groups. And you can also talk, talk with us at the info desk and we'll get you connected. Good. And we've captured a few stories, right, of people's we experiences. We absolutely have. Yeah, we've had some, some neat stories. I want you to watch the video. My wife and I are using the First John Journal uh, on a weekly basis to spend more time with God. I can watch the services and um, take this and go step by step. Well, we've used the journal in, a, in addition to a uh, Right Now Media video series. I've also been taking the classes, the Digging Deeper classes that Hopefield offers, and it's really helped me understand more about what First John was writing. We're all at different parts um, of parenthood, of life, and so everyone's, it's nice to see everyone's perspective on it. We've already come together uh, to serve and love one another, not only um, in the community, but um, in intimate, intimate, intimate prayer that we've had. It's given me support. It's reinforced exactly what, what it is I believe in. We're just making awesome connections with each other, um, seeing each other outside of our group. One of the, my favorite things about the group is our prayer requests. I have never asked anybody before to pray for things that were happening in my life. It gave me the confidence to talk to other people about it. Um, it give, gives me the confidence to talk to co-workers. The decisions that I make daily for my family and my relationship with my husband, with my kids,
balance how I am with other people interacting in my community and really being a Christ-centered person and not a self-centered person. Love that we captured footage both from Hopel in Saginaw and Hopel in Bay City, as Ken has said. You know, we've wanted this to be an all-church, all-in experience, and so here would be my words to you. Uh, if you started with us since the beginning, keep on going. Keep on going. God has so much more in store for you, and yeah. if you're new, jump on in. It's not too late. As Pastor Ken said, we have second half journals just for you. We have a discussion groups that you can stream on and be a part of this because what God is doing is he is opening our eyes and opening our hearts to Jesus in a whole new way. He's taking the experience of what we've you know, gone through today, through singing, through communion, yeah. through looking at his word and just making that come alive in our lives through people and through the rest of the week, because that's what we're doing here, right? So before uh, we just close the service in prayer, one other note I want to make, I've mentioned this last week, that after the service today, we're going to have elders from our church and spiritual leaders out in our hub room, which is just outside the lobby. They're going to be available to pray for you. If you just came in with heavy burdens and you just feel like, well, I want someone to pray with me, someone to pray for me. Uh, we invite you to join us in the hub. Again, we'll have a group of people there who want to pray for you. This has been a great Sunday. So even as we close our time here, let's pray together. And Jesus, thank you for opening our eyes and the eyes of our hearts to you in new and afresh ways. And God, that you can take a room full of hundreds of people like this and speak words, personal words, of comfort and challenge to our hearts. We want to be open to that because, Jesus, we want to know you even more. And for all of us in this room, whatever that next step with you looks like, give us the grace and the courage to be able to do that. And so even now, Lord, we want to thank you for where we've been in this series and we want to look forward with hope, the anticipation of what you have in store for us. Because you are good, your word is good, your spirit who speaks through your word is good, and our Savior is wonderful. And we pray all this, dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for coming. Next week we will continue our series in the book of 1 John. Go in the grace of God.